Step in today, learning from Philippians 2, 5 through 8, in what it means that Jesus came to serve um, in the form of a servant. So we're going to talk about this, this idea of him coming in the form of a servant. So we're going to be in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And again, uh, a way that we're uh, saying this or talking about this, that Christ came in the form of a servant as our hum- humble example to be unified in the gospel. We can't forget that that is driving us to be gospel partners, to be unified in the gospel. So again, said in a fuller way, our text teaches that Christ, who was in the form of God and man, came in the form of a servant obediently to give us the humble example as our Savior to what? to be unified in him as gospel partners. And so we'll learn today in worship as, as we learn that Jesus, our Messiah, this anointed one, our Lord and Savior, came in the form of a servant. So you see, our, our God is great, and he's the author of history, and there's nothing that has happened that surprises our great God. He has allowed evil and Satan and the evil ways of the world to take place for a season, but God is on his throne. And he knows every injustice. He knows every evil. And one day when he returns, he will return as a king who will judge the world accordingly. You see, because our God came in the form of a servant, literally in the Greek, a form, in the form of a slave. And so as God's word says in the Gospels, uh, in the first four books of the Bible, that Jesus, who was the son of man, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus came to serve, and he knows all of human history. He knows all of our history. He knows all the good that we have done, and he knows all of our sin, and he knows all of humanity's sins against each other and against himself as God. And so again, Jesus came to glorify God in the form of a servant, and this phrase the form of a servant, we see that Jesus is being described in, the, in, in a sense in the most lowly way because he was God, but also in, in, in the most wonderful way because he has served us in his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And see, our text again is gonna teach us that Christ came in the form of a servant as a humble example to be, for us to be unified in the gospel. And again, said fuller is that our text teaches that Christ who was in the form of God and man, came in the form of a servant obediently to give us the humble example as our Savior to be unified together as gospel partners. So if you remember the book of Philippians was written by Paul, this leader, this man who on his way to Damascus was persecuting Christians, didn't care about God, didn't care about uh, Christianity. He actually hated Christianity. God woke him up, changed him, and Jesus appeared to him on this road to Damascus, and he became um, what we call this this super apostle, the one who was the first, one of the first church planters and and, and the first missionaries to go out and, and spread the gospel to all nations. He was the apostle to the Gentiles or the apostle to the nations, this man, Paul, wrote this letter to the Philippians in Philippi. And Paul's letter to the church in Philippi provided this wonderful example of this gospel partnership in the church. And the Philippians had shared in all of Paul's proclamation of the gospel. 
They, they sympathized with him. They suffered with him. They gave to support the cause of Christ. They worked together. They were a distinct people, and they worked together to be this on display in their city and throughout the world and prayed for Paul and his advancement or progress in the gospel. And this was all, y'all, as an overflow uh, of the uh, born in them by the Holy Spirit. Remember, we've been talking about unity in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. And so, again, in the book of Philippians, we had Paul alone in a Roman jail, suffering. But he, he brings these themes of partnership, of holding together, of unity, uh, and in this big theme of change in people that then produces change in others. And so a statement that helps us understand the whole book of Philippians is that Paul encourages gospel partnership. We can't forget that as we study this book, this gospel partnership that will actually progress or advance, same word in the Greek, progress or advance the gospel as it changes people or individuals and then expands to all nations. And so our text today really focuses on this encouragement and helps us look up to our king and shows us that Christ actually came in the form of a servant as our humble example to be unified in the gospel. Again, Christ came in the form. This word form is where we get our word morph. It's the Greek word like morpheo, where we get the word morph. And so he, he came in that way. He came in this form of God and man, and then, and then in the form of a servant, obediently. He's obedient to the Father to give us this humble example. True humility is seen in Christ as our Savior, to be unified in him together as partners in the gospel. And so, again, just to review a little bit of what we've been learning in Philippians, we've been talking about this gospel partnership that produces unity. And we've been in Philippians, again, learning um, that, 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 that Paul calls us to this gospel partnership. And he uses this phrase as one of the key themes for Philippians, this encouragement. It may not feel that way if you say it, but I, I love this phrase. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and that catalyzed um, his heart on the Philippians. And he tells the believers at Philippi that, Philippi, that they will actually uh, be in suffering and be engaged in conflict. It's like, good morning, <laughs> encouragement. Um, but he's saying this. It, it, there's some hard things, but he's, he's trying to give us encouragement in these hard times. This is the call of a Christian. And so... We can learn that these things are, these truths are true for us today as well. Well, we will have suffering. We will have conflict. And yes, there is worldly suffering, but there is this thing that Paul in Philippians talks about in Christian suffering. Just for being a Christian, you're going to get an extra dose of suffering. Again, good morning. And, and it may seem hard, but this is, what, this is what the Bible tells us. And Paul wants the church to be encouraged. Remember, he said this in 127, to live lives worthy of the gospel, holy lives, sanctified lives, in spite of this conflict and suffering. And so Paul was teaching the church that gospel partnership, that true gospel partnership, we have to do it together, we can't do this alone, produces this unity in the faith or in belief, in the gospel. And so as we have been defining gospel partnership, we've said that true partnership in the church is an active partnership in the gospel, a close relationship of mutual benefit promoting uh, the gospel through what? Through cooperation, sympathy, suffering, financial giving, active labor, prayer, and love. And so we need to know and believe the true gospel partnership produces unity in the faith. In what faith? In the belief of the gospel. 
And our text last week, Philippians 2, 1 through 4, helps us understand um, this as well, as it taught and encourages in Christ to have unity in the faith or in our faith, this gospel, this, this faith that God has given us that comes from this gospel partnership, which produces true love of people. And so you'll see um, when, when we actually learn to love God more, we will actually love others. Remember last week he said, consider the interests of others. So as we uphold hold to unity in the church, that will make other people see Christ because he came in this form of a servant to save us and to be our example to others. And our text today in Philippians 2, 5 through 8 teaches us that Christ, again, came in the form of a servant as our humble example for us to be unified in the gospel. Again, Christ said in a, in a fuller way, Christ was in, came in the form of a servant. He came first in the form of God as man and then in the form of a servant. And he did this obediently to give us the humble example as our savior, our redeemer, to be unified in the gospel as gospel partner. So let's read our text today in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. In Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, if you would turn on your Bible Open it, have your eyes in the text with me. I hope that we can pull this out and remember this, the word from our king, written through Paul, through the power of the Spirit. Look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is, in, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself or made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so Christ came in the form of a servant as our humble example to be unified in the gospel. Christ, who was, as our text said, was in the form of God and man, he was the God-man, came in the form of a servant obediently to give us and be our humble example as our Savior so that we could hold this unity as gospel partners. And so it's interesting to note that verses 5 through 11 of Philippians, so some of this week's uh, text and next week, are known as this old uh, hymn, this song. And so that's interesting and beautiful to think that these words were more than likely sung in Greek years ago to honor our great God. So look at with, with me at verse 5 of our text today, which says, Have this mind among yourselves. Imagine this being sung as a song. Uh, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So verse 5 tells us that our unified mind, remember he's, he's pulling back everything he's been saying before, from verse 127 to even part of 2, 1 through 4. Uh, our unified mind comes from our Savior and our example, Jesus. And so we're reminded of having this unified mind that, that in that we're, when we're first reminded that, that we have unified minds in Christ through what? Through first his salvation that he's given us. And then the text says that this unified mind belongs to the believers. And so um, we as believers can actually have unity in unified minds as, as the church. And you see, true gospel partners will have this unity or this, this unity in the faith or this unity in belief of the gospel, what? The gospel story, what, what Christ has done. And this is from our triune God. And so the gospel of Christ and our unity or our belief in the gospel is how we will live as a church. And so gospel unity is, just not, is not just our version of unity. It's, it's not what we want it to be, but rather God's version of unity and his vision for his church. 
and his vision for us as his children, unified in the gospel. That, that guys, again, we will have suffering and conflict that we earned earlier, learned earlier in the text. And we will desire to be with Christ, but if we are to live now, it is for the blessing of other people. And our church will not be driven by other factors or factions. We pray that. We pray that we will not argue about vain or pointless things that will disrupt our gospel unity. And so our opinions on some subjects will never, guys, take precedent over the gospel. Our preferences in church life are like this song or that song or this thing or we should have this carpet or that thing. I mean, those things can get in the way and they're so pointless. We will, ne- we will never let those things precede the gospel and the unity of Christ's church. Division like that is demonic. And, and that is what Paul was wanting the church in Philippi to avoid. He was trying to protect them from participating or having that partnership or fellowship with the world or with evil. That word is very important because he knew this unity of mind came from Christ's salvation of us. In Jesus saving us, he gave us the Holy Spirit uh, that that, um, allowed us to now love God and and know the gospel and have this unified mind as gospel partners. And so we also have the unified minds of Christ through his example. We have this unity and and, and we, we can have this unity through Christ's example because remember, Jesus came in the form of a servant. And we can have unified minds in uh, the example that Christ gave. And we'll see more of this humble, obedient example in the verses that follow and and even more next week. And so let's uh, read verse 5 with me in verse 6 again in context and listen to what Paul says. He says, have this mind among yourselves, that unified mind, right? Which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's our mind. We can hold that. He says, who? Jesus who though was in the form of God, see that word form, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so this section of scripture is one, it can be one of the most debated in, in scripture as there is some grammar and original language that can be misinterpreted. But Paul wrote this clear. It's called the purposecuity of scripture. I'll say that a little nerdy thing, purposecuity. It just means the clarity of scripture. Scripture is clear. And yes, even Peter says some things Paul says are kind of confusing. Peter says that. Um, but the Bible is generally very clear. Um, especially in this, Paul wasn't trying to bring a big theological debate. He was uh, bringing about a hymn, a song. Songs usually are, um, can be misinterpreted. Or, and so we're even going to sing a song, The Old Rugged Cross. And some people can say, oh, that song's talking about worshiping the cross. No, it's not. It's a song. It's a metaphor. The song is pointing to Christ. And so that's, I think, what's happening here. Again, verse 6, uh, it says, Who, meaning Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count uh, equality with God, a thing to be grasped or snatched. Okay, so that word in Greek can mean snatched. And so, we, again, we see that Christ first was in the form of God and man. And this was simply saying that Jesus was 100% God and 100% uh, man. But it's focusing on, the, on that he was God first. And he was God from, from the beginning. And so we see that grammar says that he was God in the past. That he was with the Father from eternity. He wasn't born. He wasn't made at the cross. He was infinite. He was with Christ. He was, at there, he was there at creation, the Bible says. So the, the beauty of Jesus is that in the perfect time in, in history, the, 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 that God became flesh. He was incarnated. And he was born in Bethlehem as his baby. And so he was also God who was man. He was 100% human. Jesus was the perfect human, the human that Adam and Eve and you and I could not be. 
Think about that. The Bible is clear that all humans are created in the image of God and that we have sin. But the human that God created to dwell in the garden was to be a human who had no sin. You see, the word Adam or Adam in Hebrew can also just mean man. And we see in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus uh, uh, is called the second Adam or the last Adam or the final Adam in Greek. Think about that. Because he who came um, did what Adam could not do. And you see, when, when God comes back his chi- for his children, those who are saved, guys, we will have resurrected, physically resurrected bodies. Why is that important? Because Jesus' humanity is important. He wasn't just a ghost floating around. He was a human as human as you and me. And he was the perfect example of humanity. What Adam failed to do, Jesus, the second Adam, or the complete Adam, the final Adam, the last Adam, showed us what humanity really is. We're kind of like messed up versions of humanity. Jesus is the perfect humanity. And in a sense, uh, because our sin has marred us as humans, and we're longing to be rescued from this perfect human Jesus who is also God. And so to be human means to be sinful. Think about that. Unless, unless, this is the crazy thing, unless you are the God-man, Jesus Christ, who was human but never sinned. That's what separates us, right? We can't forget. And this, this text shows that Jesus was equal to God, but that Jesus did not grasp or snatch or exploit his godly privileges. Unlike Adam, if you remember Genesis 3, who wanted to grasp or snatch these godly privileges. He wanted to be like God, and God has the knowledge of, uh, this knowledge of the tree of good and evil. It's interesting, right? So you see, Jesus became a man. Uh, Jesus actually became a man who was hungry and tired and and had to do all the same basic human things to to, to survive that we have to do. And so this phrase that he did not count equality, something to be grasped or snatched, can be translated a few ways. But it seems to me, and this guy, R.P. Martin says, he, Jesus, existed in the divine condition or rank as the unique image and glory of God, but refused to utilize this favored position to exploit his privileges and to assert himself in opposition to his father. Why? Because Christ was the perfect example, and we can trust and know that God actually came in the form of a servant. That's what a, that's what a servant does. And this word form will be used two more times again in our text. So look at verse 7, which explains more of what verse 6 was saying on the idea of not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped or snatched. Look at verse 7, which explains more as it says, but Jesus, this is a controversial phrase, okay? Some of y'all's versions might have said made himself, no- made himself nothing. Literally in the Greek it says he emptied himself, meaning he poured out um, Uh, That's the idea in Greek. And so in verse 7, we see that Christ who came in the form of a servant made himself nothing or emptied himself in comparison to to being deity or God. That's what it's saying. It's not trying to start a theological debate. Firstly, we see that Christ made himself nothing or emptied himself in comparison to being deity or God while he was human because he was fully human. So the point is that he made himself nothing or emptied himself, again, which in Greek can mean to pour out or give up status or privilege. And again, this does not mean that Jesus gave up his status as being God. That's not what it's saying. But 
It, it means that during his time on earth, because remember he was eternal too, but during his time on earth that he was a true human who had the same Holy Spirit we had. It wasn't a different Holy Spirit. It was the same Holy Spirit. And so this should not discourage us again. Then this allowed Christ to be truly dependent on the Holy Spirit like a Christian would be. He was our example. And so, again, this is like, oh, Jesus, he had the Holy Spirit. I'm not Jesus, so whatever. You know, you kind of like quit on sanctification. That's not what this is encouraging. You should, you, you should not be discouraged from abiding in Jesus because we have the same Holy Spirit he has. And yes, he was perfect. And yes, we will fail. But we should be so thankful that our great God would give us the privilege of having the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had abide in him. Wow. What access to the Father. But because, again, Jesus was human and also God, Jesus was the only perfect man who was abiding or living in the Spirit perfectly. He's in our example. We're not going to do it perfectly, but we can do it. And so Paul never says that Jesus gave up the form of being God. No. But rather that Jesus, who had all the privileges of being fully God, that were rightly his as king of kings and of the universe, that he, Jesus, humbly gave up those privileges and those rights to become an ordinary little Jewish baby who would grow up and then who would die for our sins and take on the anger, the wrath of God, and he would atone or cover for our sins and redeem those of us who are his babies, his children. That's what it means to come in the form of a servant. You see Jesus' humility how he became a servant um, who was man and, and how he was actually born. He was actually, as the text says, he was born in man's likeness. You see, he was just like you and me. He came to serve us in the most humble way possible in the form of a servant. And so the text continues in verse 8 saying, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so this text is clear that he um, was actually in human form, but th- that he, and he humbled himself as this obedient um, man to the Father to, to, to be put on death, uh, on death row, in a sense, on a Roman cross. Again, we see Jesus was truly human, and that he humbled himself as a man, and that he... Uh, was obedient to the Father as a perfect example to the point of death on a Roman cross. So Jesus came, then he died this very human death where, yes, there was physical pain, but ultimately he would take on the pain of all our sin. And he would pay the ultimate price of death on a Roman cross to redeem us. You see his humility. Crucifixion was the Roman form uh, of execution. And so, yes, there was this obvious physical pain, but God endured way more than physical pain. He endured, and the Bible says that he became sin. Imagine the weight of all the emotional pain of all our sin, everything that you're feeling, just one person. Imagine that times every, like all, all the sin, how heavy that would be. All of our brokenness, and whatever you believe on that, there's some different debates there. If it was everybody's sin in the whole world or all the Christians' sin, that's a debate. We don't have time for that. But even if it was just all the Christians' sin, that's a lot of sin, <laughs> right? The Bible says he died for the sins of the world, and he took it on. He took on the, the weight of the, the main point was he took on the weight of the, of the anger of God that Jesus felt as he took on our sin. 
Are you thankful that the one who came in the form of a servant suffered that way for you and me? That he was so humble, y'all, that he who was God was now humiliated by execution on a Roman cross. I think we forget this part. The crucifixion, while different, would be similar culturally for us today by the, the death of, uh, by lethal injection or a few years ago, you know, by, by death of the electric chair. Again, which was common not too long ago. So think with me. Imagine the most holy God, just think of him in in our days, being arrested and treated like trash, like the worst criminal. Imagine him being live on TV where he would die in the eyes of witnesses as a horrible, lowly criminal. That's that's humility. That's not what we would do. We'd be, I want my rights. I know. I didn't, I was not guilty. I was free. I can't believe you would put me in jail. Do you not know Israel? Do you not know who I am? That's what we would do. We would fight as Christians, right? But what did the king do? The one who could have just destroyed everything, called the angels down. Man, imagine the shame you would feel that, it, that, that, that if you went through this, that, that, that again, Christ went through this, um, this public trial. Imagine how we would feel personally as a Christian who had to go through a public trial where, where we were executed live on TV. How shameful we would feel, right? And that even, again, do, do we see the humility of Jesus? That, that, that even though uh, he went through this crucifixion that, that was historically recorded and recounted and that changed the world, like it was an awesome thing, but it was also, guys, this, this very humiliating thing that he died as a criminal left to die. Like that guy's fake. That's kind of the, the mark that, 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 that could have been it. And, and, and that's what our text has been talking about. Do you see Jesus? Do you see his humility? That Christ came in the form of a servant as our humble example for us to be unified in the gospel. You see, our triune God was reigning in heaven. Uh, um, Jesus is eternal and was with the Father and the Spirit eternally. And in creation, we see that God was bringing everything to life and making everything good and making humanity in his image and, and with the plan from the beginning that this humble servant, that Jesus would come in the form of a humble servant who would save humanity from our sin. You see, our sin and rejection of God did not catch God by surprise. God knew humanity would sin against him, which is why he allowed sin and death to enter the world, which causes chasm between us and causes us to realize, oh, snap, we're not God. We need God, not all of us, but some of us, that he would save and choose and elect would see, wow, like I'm actually his child. And we would see that Jesus as Messiah, this anointed one, this little Jewish boy, would become this humble servant. And God wanted us to see our sin and brokenness and need for this Savior, Jesus, who would redeem us. And so let's praise our King. We're going to sing. We're going to end the song, our service with a long song. Um, uh, it's going to be a long song. We're going to just jam out and worship God there. But let's praise him. Let's, let's remember the humble servant who came and became flesh. Jesus, who came in the form of a servant, gave us this redemption through, through um, uh, his, his death on the cross, that he was redeeming. He, he, was, he was the one that was the sacrifice that appeased the wrath or the anger of God and his, so that us, his children, could be saved, we could be redeemed, we could be delivered. And then he died and he was buried and then he resurrected and he, he ascended. And the Bible says he's coming again. 
And we have a response now to repent and believe, to turn away from sin. Repentance means to turn away from sin, not just once, all the time. We do it initially, but we continue to turn away from sin and turn to Christ's kingdom in belief, in this unity of faith, unity of belief that we have as gospel partners. And he's going to come again, y'all. He's going to come again. He's going to restore. There's going to be a new creation. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. There will be no more tears, no more pain. This one who came in the form of a servant renew the whole world. And he will come and judge sin and evil finally, completely. And the one who came in the form of a servant will come in the form of a righteous king who is God and man with the scars still there, who will usher in righteousness and peace and we will see the glory of God. We're gonna sing that in the end of our service. And so in the the gospel story, we see him who was, again, still in the form of God and who came in, in human form and then came in the form of a servant. Don't miss that. To give us hope in him by redeeming us and separating us our sin. We've been reading the Psalm this week, Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west. No condemnation for us, guys, because of Christ to give us hope in him, our humble servant. And so the form of the servant shows us this true humility. When we see his humble example, now, guys, this leads us to what we learned about last week, to have this true uh, love for others because we see how awesome he is. And so do you see and are you responding now in worship to the God who came in the form of a servant? Do you love the God-man who came in the form of a servant? Because of Jesus' example now, we should, as we learned last week, I want to go back to this really strong application, to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, remember verse 3, 2, 3, count others more significant than ourselves. We learned in verse three that we, should, that, we, that we studied last week that we should not act in a rivalry nor act in conceit or vanity. So Paul kind of lays out the sin and he's like, see Jesus. I'm laying this out, now see Jesus. That's kind of the next two, uh, the next, uh, two uh, sermons we'll be looking at and the next part of the text, five through 11. Paul is saying, he's calling us back that if we have true gospel partnership that produces unity in the faith then we will not produce evil fruit. Paul says we won't act in rivalry or conceit. We won't think that we're better. We won't try to uh, um, one-up people. We won't try to win all the arguments. We won't want all the eyes on us where people can see all the good things that we do. We won't look down on others because they're different than us. And specifically, if they sin differently than us, we still should have a standard. We're not uh, called to encourage sin. But be careful what you do there. (laughs) Remember your own story. The answer is to not act in rivalry nor to act in conceit or vanity, but to act in how Christ was. This one who came in the form of a servant, you acted in humility. That's the point. He says that in, in, in the last chunk of text of the text before 2, 1 through 4. Why? That if we act in humility like Christ, then we'll actually count others more significant than ourselves. And this is not what our king has done for us, that he has given us the power to do this, y'all, through the Holy Spirit as his example to follow uh, uh, with the rest of our lives, that we can actually see him and follow him. Remember verse four from last week where Paul said, let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So are we looking out for others' interest? Are we looking out um, uh, for for, for other people? The, The way he said that looking out for others' interest is this practical way we can love others. It's assumed that we love ourselves. Jesus says that in the great commandment. 
He says, love Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. It's assumed that we're going to love ourselves. So humility is defined here as counting others more significant than yourselves, looking out for others' interests. Is that not what Jesus did? You see, we need Jesus' humility and humble example to live. That's why we need to remember the gospel story more and more every second of every day. In Christ's example of humility, we can count others more significant than ourselves and look out for their interest. Said in another way, loving God produces love of people. I wonder why that's in our mission statement. Because <laughs> the Bible is echoing this theme over and over. We want to graduate to something else. He's like, no, 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 no. You'll get the deeper stuff when you love me and you love people. That's what he's saying. Because true humility leads to, to love of others. And is it, this is what Jesus did in coming in the form of a servant. Because true humility, y'all, it's rid of pride and trying to prove yourself or one-up someone. True humility is rid of a life that is set on self-pity. Maybe you're on the opposite side. Or jealousy of other people's success or seemingly better circumstances. True humility trusts God and loves people deeply, which leads to, to a true love of people and really looking out for the interest of others and, and for each other as a church. Again, it's assumed that we care for ourselves, and oftentimes we, we spend so much time um, wanting stuff for ourselves and caring about our own story and saying, God, if you would have just done this or that thing, or why this or why this situation, instead of, of living out the gospel story that our wonderful king has written for us. In all your pain, guys, he's given you that for a reason. He's given you that to steward. Because it's not just about us or our story, what we want. Some of the pain that you've gone through, that I've gone through, Hey, there, there's, a, there's a, a, a kid that's 10 years old now, right, that doesn't know what's going to smack them in the face when they turn 20, when you're now 30 or 40, <laughs> and you've got the city miles to then come and say, hey, man, I've been there. It's horrible, but I've been there, and this is what you need to do. Abide in Jesus. Hey, come, you know, and, and they're going to give you that practical, and you're going to be the one leading in that, but you have to go through the pain now before you can do it. And then you're like, I don't want to. I know, like I'm, I'm there with you. I don't want to. But God is good in the pain, in the suffering. And it hurts and it stings. And, and, and that's okay. Cry, lament, feel the pain, but he's gonna redeem it. And so guys, to have this, to live as Christ and to die as gate heart, to want to remain here on earth for the gospel to expand for other people and other nations and not for our purposes, that's what God is calling us to do, that our purposes would align with him, that our unity would be one that wants to love him and love people and make disciples of all nations for his glory. And so let's worship now with, with our lives and with our music here as we respond. Let's remember that Christ came in the form of a servant as our humble example to be unified in the gospel. And let's be so thankful for our salvation. And if you don't know what it means to be saved, respond today in repentance and belief for the first time. And let's be so thankful for our salvation. If you do know Christ, let's respond in repentance and belief for the millionth time and continue walking in this gospel unified. Remember Christ who was in the form of God and man came in the form of a servant obediently to give us that humble example as our savior so that we'd be unified in him as gospel partners. Let's pray and praise him now. Heavenly Father, we come and we thank you for who you are and what you've done. Lord, you are good. And Lord, let us see Lord, that you are God, let us see that you are human and let us see that in your humanity and in your deity that you 
this beautiful mixture of coming in the form of a servant, Lord, to redeem us and to be our example so that we, Lord, can live here on earth and, um, and, and proclaim your gospel to the ends of the earth. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.